Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Julio, and um, I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. And uh, Ben asked me to if I could preach, and I, I have to confess here in front of him that uh, one of the hardest things uh, when somebody asks you to preach is like, hey, preach whatever you want. And that sounds immediately, it sounds like, oh, great, I can preach whatever I want. And then you get into it, and it's like, okay, there's 66 possible books. I'm not even going to count the chapters. And then the passage, and it's like, oh, it could be an overwhelming experience. So I had to go through that process, and it was, and it was hard, uh, to be honest. So I ended up, for some reason, in this passage today in Second Kings. So if you feel like... Why are we in Second Kings? Uh, I, I don't know. You know, like really, uh, I don't know. But we've been studying Matthew, and I think there's going to be some relation uh, to that. Um, have you ever been caught in the emotions of a great experience? Have you ever been caught up in the moment? You know, maybe at a time when uh, you experience something exciting that everything else uh, in life kind of fades in the background. I mean, that your emotions are caught up in it, and for a moment, you just forget everything else that is happening in your life. Have you ever been caught up in that moment? You know, I remember uh, a few years ago, almost like 15 years ago, I remember deciding not to carry cash. All right, this is a, this is a long time ago, but I decided to not carry cash for two reasons. One, it's because I had the tendency to lose it. I don't know there's something about my body that when I put things in my pockets, they disappear. I don't even, you know, I don't even have to put my hands inside of my pockets, but I was losing money, and I didn't like that. And the other reason was because I had the tendency to spend it. You know, I would have $20, and I would see something that I didn't need, but I feel like, okay, I have the money, and I would go and, and, and buy it. So I decided not to carry cash, and, but there have been some times in my life where I wish I had some cash on me. Um, when I was in college, Crystal and I, we had been married for a couple of uh, years, and uh, I remember this group from Abilene Christian University that came, and uh, they told us, hey, for any students, any uh, juniors or seniors that want to go into the graduate program, we want to invite you for a time to come and check out the school. And I remember telling Crystal, hey, you know, I don't really want to go to this, but uh, some of my professors were telling me, hey, Julio, you should consider going, go check it out, you're going to love it. And Crystal's like, yeah, go but I can't go with you and that was a little bit frightening to me because everywhere we had gone after we moved from Honduras to here everywhere we've gone I've she was always there with me so you know I felt like a little bit uh, shy about driving and going in, in long trips so we were living in Joplin Missouri at the time it was the southwest side of, of Missouri and uh, and I remember being excited about it but I didn't feel confident at the same time so I remember talking to one of my friends and inviting him hey do you want to come on this trip to me to have with me uh, to Abilene Texas and he says yes that sounds great and uh, if you're familiar with the Midwest, and again, this is 15 years ago, uh, there's no toll booths except in, uh, in um, Oklahoma. So I remember my, my wife telling me, it was like a Thursday, hey, don't forget to go to the bank and get some, and get some cash. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. And then it's Friday comes up and she's like, hey, have you gotten any cash? You got to go to the bank, uh, go to the ATM. You're going to need it when you go to Oklahoma. 
And, you know, I'm excited. I'm preparing other things. And, I, and then I forgot church time came on Sunday. We're going to leave after church. And I remember that she was going to a different church that I was going to go to because I was going to go with my friend, just pick him up and go. And I remember she left me this note. Hey, don't forget to get cash in the kitchen. And I remember looking at it, and I'm just, okay, I'm going to do that as soon as I get uh, out of church. And I'm running late, go to church. And uh, after church, as you can imagine, I forgot. And we get in the car, and we start driving for 30 minutes from Missouri, Joplin, Missouri, west uh, to Oklahoma. And as we're driving, I just see this sign that says, pay toll ahead. And in that moment, I just thought, oh, my goodness, I'm in trouble. And, and, and I remember just getting uh, close to the place, and uh, I, I don't have any money. With some embarrassment, I asked my friend, hey, do, do you happen to have any, any cash? And he's like, looking in his pocket, he's like, no, man, I, I don't have anything with me. And then we, I moved to the side, and we start searching my vehicle for just some coins or something. And I remember we found three, three pennies. We needed $3.50 uh, to get through. So I, I went up to the booth, and there's this lady there, and I said, listen, uh, I explained my situation. I don't have any cash. And she's like, and I said, can I pay with a check? And she's like, no, we only accept cash. Didn't you see the signs heading here? And said, like, I'm going to call the patrol right now, and he's going to take care of you. And I'm like, I'm just kind of new to the U.S. I'm like, am I going to go to jail for this? You know, like all these things are going through my mind. And anyway, we ended up uh, being able to leave. And uh, I promised that I was going to get some cash in the next exit. So we start driving. And then I take my first right. And uh, lo and behold, there's another toll booth there. This is the kind where there's nobody there, you know, that you said the bucket and you just throw that money in there. And I remember stopping there and, and I'm like, I can't believe this. And, and all I could think of is Crystal's going to kill me. When I tell her this, she's going to kill me. And, uh, and we're there and I just, in a moment of desperation, I grab these three pennies and tell my friend, you know, I'm just going to throw them in. Maybe we're going to get a green light. And I go there and, you know, pull uh, forward, throw the three pennies and nothing happened. You know, the, the red light. Light remained red. And finally, somebody came behind us and said, hey, do you guys need some change? And I said, uh, yes. And here, here's a dollar. And I said, can I write you a check for a dollar? He's like, no, man, just keep it, okay? Uh, just, just keep it. Um, and we, you know, finally were able to go through, got some money. We had a lot of fun in our trip. But, uh, uh, but it was one of those times when you're just so excited and you have this thing, this important thing that you have to do and you know you need to do it. It's not that you don't care. You know, it's not that you really are not paying attention. It's that you're just caught in the emotion and, the, and, and just uh, the activity to get somewhere and, and you forgot some important things. I think we all do this, to be honest, sometimes. I mean, for some of you, maybe you've gone to Publix at times, and you're getting there to go and buy one thing, right, one thing. You don't even need a basket, but you uh, go through the door, and boom, these bogos, and these are, they're these sales. So you go and grab a basket, and you're like, man, I don't even need this stuff, but it's a good deal. Just throw it in there, and you just go and buy, and then get home, and, and your wife's waiting for you. He's like, hey, did you have trouble finding that? Oh, that thing, Yes. <laughs> Um, the one thing, the one thing. 
you know, for some of you, maybe uh, if you're a parent and you have smaller kids, you go into a room because you're going to go get something and you're interrupted by one of your kids and they have an amazing story to share with you. And then they are done and you come back thinking, oh, why am I here in this room? Like, what was I getting? Right. You're caught up in the moment. Maybe you're with your friends and, uh, and you're having so much fun and you're eating and then you look at your watch and you realize, oh, man, I'm going to be late to my next appointment. I'm going to be late to my class. See, we, we get distracted. It's not that we don't care. You know, and people may perceive, oh, you're late. No, you don't understand. I, this is important to me, but I got distracted. I was caught up in the moment, in the emotion. And, and because of that, I forgot. There's a story today, in our story today, about... An example like this. So I want you to go to Second uh, Kings chapter chapter seven, and uh, we're going to read this this passage together. Second Kings chapter seven. Now, the, uh, in our story today, we will find that there is uh, uh, this is happening during a time that Israel was divided into two kingdoms. So we had Israel divided, and there was a northern kingdom that was Israel, and the capital was Samaria, and then the south was Judah. And then those are the two kingdoms. Both of the kingdoms, by the way, were wicked. They had terrible kings. And then in the northeast, there was Aram, and Aram was the enemy of Israel. So these were both wicked, uh, uh, wicked kings, both uh, kingdoms that were, were terrible. Their kings were terrible. Now, in some occasions, uh, Elisha, who was the prophet of God, you know, he was in his own lane in a way. Sometimes it was confusing because he would be helping the Arameans in some ex to some extent, and other times he was helping the Israel, Israel God's people, God's place, and, um, and it was a little bit confusing. Um, there was a you know, several occasions when the Arameans wanted to attack Israel and Elisha would be there to tell the people of Israel, hey, you're going to be attacked. So they were able to prepare and their plans were thwarted many times. But in this occasion, the Arameans, uh, the Aramean army came and besieged the uh, capital city of Israel, Samaria. Uh, as you can imagine, the siege caused severe famine in Samaria. You know, the goods are, are expensive. The prices of food are astronomically expensive. In Second Kings uh, um, chapter 6, verse 25, it says that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver. That was close to $100 for a donkey's head. Now, what's interesting is that these people didn't even eat donkey. They considered donkey to be, uh, you know, an, um, an unclean animal. But when you're in a famine... And when you're starving, you can eat almost anything. So the people were starving and, you know, and they're, and they're in a bad situation. And we don't know how long this uh, siege lasted. Some people believe that it was about 100 days. But what we know is that it was very severe. I mean, there's some cases actually of cannibalism in this story, and I'm not going to tell you the details, but you would be fascinated by some of the stuff that happens in 2 Kings. I encourage you to read it. So as I told you, the king of Israel, Jehoram, was a bad king. But when he heard about this case of cannibalism, he was just, he, he was just sad, and he tore his clothes and he, as a sign of disgust. And he didn't know what to do, but he took his anger on the prophet of God, 
on Elisha. Now, why did he wanted to kill Elisha? You know, I, I don't know. But what we know is that Elisha was appointed by God, number one. So, so we know that for sure. And we also know that this king is mad at God for what's happening in his city. So maybe he doesn't know how to take it on God except by taking it on his prophet. So maybe that's why he's mad. That's, maybe that's why he's after, after Elisha. But Elisha, you know, is at his house. And when the king's messengers come and, and ready to take him. And in verse uh, 1 in 2 Kings chapter 7, this is, what, this is what Elisha, the prophet of God, said to these people. He said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a seah of the finest flour will sell for a shekel and two scabs of barley, uh, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So if you can imagine, I mean, people are paying lots of money for this, uh, for, for food and for goods. And then they come to arrest to take Elisha. And Elisha says, hey, by the way, I just want to tell you this. Tomorrow, everything's going down. The economy will recover. I mean, we're going to have plenty of wipes and plenty of toilet paper. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. And these guys can't believe him. One of the officers actually said in, in verse 2, he says, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heavens, could this happen? Now, if you walk with God, you know, if you know God, of course, we understand that nothing is impossible for him. But this guy says, yes, even if God were to do something uh, astronomically incredible, this can't happen. And then Elisha says, you will see it with your own Eyes, but you will not eat any of it. Unfortunately, these words uh, are true. Unfortunately, this uh, gentleman that doubted at the end of our story, he's able to see what's happening, but he didn't live to experience the benefits. Now, at this, side of, at this point in our story, we, we kind of take a break and we are transported to a different place where something is happening simultaneously. But check out verse 3. This is what it says. It says, now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. The city gate, this is Samaria. All right. So the four men, therefore, they're men with leprosy. Now, leprosy was a, a, you know, a general term for skin diseases. And it could refer actually to, you know, stains or mildew in a wall to stains in clothes. But it, it mostly referred to skin diseases. And there was this stigma attached to people with skin diseases that many times they were forced out of the city. And they were expelled from the city. They were asked to live outside of the city. And um, so we have these men that are living outside of the city. And then it says, and they were at the entrance of the city gate. So I just want to give you a picture of what's happening. So we have Israel over here, and this is Samaria. This is the city, and it is, they have a, a wall. And then on the other side, we have uh, the Aramean uh, army who is, uh, bese who be that besieged the city of Samaria. And then somewhere in the middle, there are these four men with leprosy. All right. So, so they're outside of the city, and they can see maybe to the left the city, and they can see to the right the Aramean army. Then it says, they said to each other, why stay here until we die? 
If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. Did you hear that? I feel like it's a little bit comical personally because it's like, okay, they have three very terrible options. If they stay, they die. If they go in the city, they die. If they go to the Aramean army, they die. You know, um, I, I was thinking about this early on, and I couldn't help to think about our school options for parents in the district, you know, I was going through through my mind remembering, okay, option number one, you can go virtually at the state's virtual school that has been in place for many years, or you can go virtual at your neighborhood school where your kids can see the teachers and everything, or you can go face-to-face -face wearing a mask in quarantine, in which case you would go virtual, and I'm thinking, okay, I get it, virtual, right? <laughs> virtual. I know it was a good option for many families, but for my family, it was like, uh, it, it, they're all bad options. They, they do not fit my family. So these guys have these three options. You know, they have, they will die, they will die, or they will possibly die. And for some reason, they decide to take their chances. They decide to, you know, to go to the, to the camp. And, um, and they say, we're going to go. And if we are killed, it's, it's okay. Now, I don't know why they decided to go to the, to the Aramean army, right? But I, I have a hint that in chapter 5 of 2 Kings, uh, this uh, man, Naaman, was the commander of the army of, uh, of, uh, of the Arme uh, Armenians, you know, of uh, Aram. And he was healed from leprosy by Elisha. So he, he's, again, one of the enemies of Israel, and Elisha goes, and, he, and he's able to heal him from leprosy. And I don't know what's going on through these guys' mind. Maybe they're thinking, maybe we, we get a chance to talk to Naaman. Maybe we get a chance to talk to the commander. Maybe they'll remember that uh, and have compassion of us. At least they will give us food. Maybe they'll just do that. I don't know. I can just speculate. But they ended up going. And this is what happened. Verse 5, it says, At dusk they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. The Lord, for the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses in a great army. So that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. And they left the camp as it was and they ran for their lives. So... I don't know if you're amazed by this. I'm, I'm just amazed by the fact that this is happening. You know, like they're there and they hear these noises and they leave absolutely everything. So if you can think of these four gentlemen with leprosy, they're getting to the camp, to the Aramean camp. I think they have to be careful and they're just watching. They could hear the uh, noise and the sounds of the horses and the donkeys and they are coming in and they say, okay, you know, we don't see anybody, but we're going to go to this tent. And they go to this tent and when they're in the tent, they find food and they find drinks and they find silver and gold. 
and they just start eating and, and, and filling their stomachs and drinking. And, and, and then they, they find the gold and they find the, you know, the silver and they find clothes and they take the clothes, you know, maybe because they're stains, they had stained clothes themselves. So they take everything and they do what everyone would do. They hit them. They took the stuff out and they took it to a place where nobody would be able to find it. And then they, when they, they've done that, they go back to another tent and they find another tent and they, and they look for food and they're finding all this treasure and it's great and it's awesome. And, and they grab it again and they, and they take it out and they hit it as well. And in their minds, they're thinking, man, we came here. We thought we were going to get killed. We thought we were going to have to uh, talk to somebody at the minimum. And here we are. And look at all of this. And this is awesome. And this is great. And maybe they're caught up in the moment that they forget about everything that's going behind the scenes. You know, I think in the moment you're, you're starving and you're hungry and you're just, you're just thinking about yourself and you're, and you're having fun. And then you, you think, oh my goodness, my life has been turned around. We know from Luke chapter 4 that these gentlemen were not healed because Luke tells us that nobody was healed of leprosy in these times except for Naaman. So we know that, which is a good symbolism in my opinion that you know sometimes we come to Christ and we have this expectation that everything's going to be fine and we're going to be physically okay and everything's going to work well in our advantage and and sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't sometimes we have to live with the pain and the consequences of sin maybe there's a symbolism here but these guys' life has been turned around and then later in verse 9 they say to each other what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. You know, I can, I can picture this. You know, it's almost like you're, you're having fun, you're great, and all of a sudden, you start, they started thinking, oh, wait a minute, I do have some family in the city. You know, I do have kids. Maybe my neighbors, there are people I know. I have relatives. What am I doing? I can't keep this to myself. I have to tell people about it. I have to tell more people about this. And it's almost like they, they just realize it all of a sudden. I think, you know, I was thinking about this, how, you know, there, there are times and, uh, 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 when everybody's having fun. And my, my wife calls it calls me, I should say, a party pooper, you know, like it, it is like we're having fun and I come into the house it's like, okay, everybody clean the room. I want this clean, this clean. It's like, oh, you know, okay, okay. And, and I couldn't help but see myself being that guy <laughs> that comes in and says, you know what? This is not right. We got to do something about this. We got to go and share it. What would you do? What would you do? this happened to you. Now, was, uh, I, I watched this video uh, online and it is called, let, let me tell you what it's called because I don't want to ruin it, but um, the treasures found in unexpected places. So treasures found in unexpected places. So I found this video, and, and it lists all these different events of uh, uh, when people have just been doing something random, and they've found treasures. 
So there, there's one example about this gentleman in Italy who's fixing his toilet, literally, and there he has a sewage problem, and he ends up digging and finds this whole room full of a, a ancient treasure. You know, there's a, an example of this guy who buys a tank, like an army tank, um, Russian army tank uh, on eBay. He pays $42,000 for this tank because he has this business where he gives you rides on, on these tanks. And it's kind of fun, right? So the guy, he buys them, and the guy who buy, he buys them from, he says, hey, listen, I found a lot of ammunition hidden in this tank, so I just want you to be aware of so this guy starts putting everything apart and taking it, you know, he's kind of restoring it. And he takes this fuel tank, this diesel tank, and he says, this is extremely heavy. So he opens it and he finds five bars of gold in it worth $2.5 million for something he purchased for $42,000. There's a, there's a story there of, a, of these young adults, uh, three guys that are living, you know, and they share an apartment and they go and buy this uh, couch for 20 bucks, $20. They bring it home and they start cleaning it up and they realize there's $42,000 in this couch. What would you do if you found something like that? You know, I think that emotionally, I'll probably be like, yeah, this is, this is awesome. But what's interesting is that in every single one of these cases, did you know what happened? Like in the moment, people were caught up in the emotion that they're thinking, this is, this is my day. This is a day of good news. But in every single one of these cases, these people either follow up on the previous owner of the item or call the police and return every single thing. I thought, what would I do? What would I do? These guys say, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. So, you know, they go back and they go to this, the story ends with, uh, uh, they go to the gatekeepers and they tell them, listen, we found this, this treasure. There's plenty of food. There's plenty of to drink. There's a lot of gold and silver. And the gatekeepers of the city go and they announce it. And some people are doubtful. They think it's a, it's a trick. But everybody ends up coming to the Aramean camp and they're able to eat and drink. And the words of Elisha were true. At that time, you could buy barley and flour for very, very cheap. Yeah. So I was thinking about this, and I was just thinking about, you know, our story. Because if, if you're a Christian, and, and, and if you uh, consider yourself a follower of Christ, I think that we all have a story. And we all have a, maybe a moment when we realize that there was something else about this word and this God that we had been listening about, that we had been learning about. There's a time when God became significant in our lives. And you may remember maybe a sermon, maybe a preacher, maybe you were at a conference, maybe you were at a camp and wherever you were, you remember the time when God became significant to you personally. 
And in those times, you know, you remember who you were with, you remember who you talked to, you remember how you felt, uh, you remember those things. And in that moment, you felt this extraordinary uh, feeling of there is hope that whatever I've done in the past, that I can find forgiveness in Jesus. And in that moment, you want to share it with people. You probably shared it with people, those closest to you. But even beyond that, you were not only sharing the story, but you wanted for other people to experience what do you have experience? You know, there, there's this idea that like these guys, you, there was something that you experienced that you're like, I, I can't, I have to go back. I have to go and tell somebody about this. That yes, maybe you had this encounter in a personal way, maybe, maybe in the room where you were reading a particular scripture, but at some point in your life, you came out of that room and you said to somebody, this is who I am now. This is what I was, but now I'm somebody different. And you share that. But there is a, uh, you know, there's a point in our lives, you know, where, where somehow that kind of fades away. And the longer we're Christians, the longer, the easier I think it is to forget. And, and to forget to go back. To forget to tell our story. You know, I think in, in our in my experience, I remember exactly where I was, 12 years old. I remember when I was 19 years old when God called me into ministry. And there are mentors and there are people who were there with me. There were pastors that, that for me, it's, it's just easy to talk to them. It's so easy to invite them. It's so easy to have them over for lunch because, because they're my people. You know, they, they, these are the people that I like. But sometimes I wonder if I have left some people behind. Sometimes I wonder if, if there are people that were there, but I missed them because I just, I just didn't take the time to go back. You know, it's, again, it's easy for us to, to, to go to the people that we know and, and, and to celebrate with them and to, and to be with them. But, uh, but we miss the mark, I think, if we don't go back. I was reading this uh, a book like by Michael, Mike Foster, and he says, he suggests, listen, as Christians, we need to make an effort to go and to, and to communicate with people, but, but also to just be God's people out there. And he says, if, you, if you're going to take three people out to eat, make sure that one of those persons is somebody that doesn't go to your church. Make sure that, that, per, that one of them is somebody that you don't know very well. He says, if, you, if you're going to bless three people, in other words, if you're going to um, give words of affirmation to three people this week, if you're going to bless uh, by being generous, if you're going to give something to somebody, make sure that one person is somebody that doesn't go to your church. Because otherwise, we will leave some behind. You know, we have this dilemma, I think, when it comes to, to this story. That we can get excited and we can, and we can say yes to this, to what's happening. We can, we can share with some. But, but think about it. This, if, if, we don't, if we don't reach out to our neighbors, who will? If we, don't, if, we don't take, if we don't pray for our neighbors, if we don't pray for the people that we don't know, like who will? And I think there's a sense of responsibility that we have as Christians to say, I cannot keep this to ourselves. We cannot keep this. We have to go back. We have a great opportunity to make a spiritual impact in our community, I think. And, and our message is so powerful, especially in a time like this where people are struggling. People are having a difficult time 
you know, marriages are broken, relationships are struggling, and, and people are looking for purpose, and, and others are suffering. But the church has always been there, being a light. You know, I read this uh, uh, article about Brian Stewart. He was a Canadian journalist who retired in 2009. And he said he, he was known for covering many of the world's conflicts like wars from El Salvador to Beirut and Afghanistan, um, the Gulf War as well. He reported on child slavery in Sudan and about the Ethiopian famine in the 80s. And, and after 40 years of journalism, he said this. This is what he wrote about Christians. He said, there is no movement closer to the raw truth of war, famines, or human crisis than Christianity in action. There is no alliance more determined than church workers mobilized for a common good. From being involved in the most impoverished countries in the world to the struggle to preserve caring values in towns and cities in America. I have always been amazed how when I went to these dark places, I always found Christians already at work there. Congregations that care, being a faithful witness to truth, the primary light in the darkness, and often the only light. See, I think that's a good picture of what God is calling us to. In a moment, we're going to transition to, to communion. And um, if, you're, if you're new today, you know, we celebrate this every, every Sunday here at Trinity. And communion is a time when we remember the sacrifice that Jesus did in the cross for us. And uh, so in a moment, we're going we're gonna to partake of the bread and, and, uh, and the juice. So if you want to get those ready, I'm going to read from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23, says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And we, when he had given things, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for who you are and for looking down to earth from heaven and giving grace to each one of us. And God, as I think about this story, I pray that, I pray that we would do what you call us to do, to be a light wherever we go. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.